Hello and welcome to the Our Wisdom podcast. I'm Geeta Sundaram from Goa, India, and I'm here to talk to you about all things business, politics, and culture. Thank you for joining me. In this edition of the Our Wisdom podcast, we will be looking at how COVID-19 impacts different sets of people. Hello, hope you're safe and well. We've had COVID-19 in our midst for what, a couple of months now at least? It's like the uninvited guest that won't leave us alone and in peace. Unfortunately, it's more dangerous than that. It's the uninvited guest that ends up killing the host, like in a thriller film. I believe in medical science they even use words such as host. And speaking of thriller films, I read recently that a film called Contagion about a pandemic is the most streamed and watched film right now. It seems fair then to ask, how are people coping with COVID in different parts of the world? I said in my last podcast that COVID doesn't discriminate between countries and cities or between rich and poor. Well, it turns out that the first part of the sentence is right. On the latter, I was wrong. In the past month, new data has come to light and it is still a developing story, but all indications seem to be that poorer folk seem to be more vulnerable against COVID. That shouldn't come as a surprise, considering that the poor are always the most vulnerable, especially in calamitous times. However, we must remember that it isn't COVID that is posing a greater danger to the poor, but the economic and social conditions and circumstances that make it more of a threat to certain sections of society. Because this coronavirus is airborne and is highly contagious, it affects people who live in congested surroundings disproportionately. Folks who can't afford to practice social distancing in their one-room tenements and slums, for example. And often that also brings into play entire ethnic, racial and religious communities, who because of their economic circumstances or because of ghettoized living are in greater danger. For example, there is new data from the CDC, Center for Disease Control and Prevention in the US, on how COVID is impacting the residents of New York City. It is still early days and more and better quality data over the coming weeks and months will shed greater light on this. But from what we already have, we can see that it has affected more African Americans and Hispanics than Asians and whites. The rate of deaths per 100,000 among African Americans or Blacks in NYC is 92.3 and 74.3 for Hispanics, while it is 45.2 for whites and 34.5 for Asians. I'm not quite sure why they chose to, uh, you know, pick on the rate among 100,000 because that would be something that you would use for determining long-term trends in certain uh, macroeconomic indicators, whereas for this it would have been enough to just look at the rates for blacks and Hispanics among the community that is actually affected by uh, coronavirus. But the difference again here between non-hospitalized cases and hospitalized cases is also much wider for African Americans and Hispanics than for the other two communities. This could be because whites and Asians have better access to hospitals or more of them are covered by healthcare insurance than the others. Which brings us to another important factor as to why certain communities are at greater risk from COVID than others. Better access to healthcare. 
Because African Americans and Hispanics tend to be poorer than their white or Asian counterparts, many among them do not have access to the same quality of health care. Perhaps one should also make allowances for the fact that smaller household budgets for these communities means poorer diets and so lower general health and immunity to begin with. As the CDC and WHO both report, COVID-19 deaths are higher among people with underlying chronic conditions. If this is the case in the world's richest and largest economy and the world's financial capital, imagine how COVID is impacting people in other countries. Italy and Spain have recorded the highest number of cases and COVID-related deaths in Europe, and things don't seem to be very much better in the UK. The Guardian reports that in the UK too, ethnic minorities are dying at a higher rate than whites. While we do not have similar data for India, one can expect huge disparities in the cases between communities here as well. Not only do we have teeming millions of poor and disadvantaged people, we have them living in the most cramped and congested environments, poor sanitation, and most of all, a rickety healthcare system. If one applies similar reasoning to India's COVID experience, I think the urban poor living in slums might be more at risk than the rural poor. Now take the case of African countries. Many have just emerged from a terrible Ebola epidemic last year. And as Brookings Institution reports, COVID's impact on Africa could be devastating. Besides the fact that many of these countries are deep in debt, large parts of which must be forgiven, and the fact that most will need greater financial assistance again from IMF, the same reasons of extreme poverty, congestion, and poor access to healthcare apply here as well. In fact, the World Bank expects Sub-Saharan Africa to go into its first recession in 25 years. Most African countries are oil and commodity exports dependent, and with the collapse in world trade as well as a global recession, there seems to be little hope for them in the immediate future. All of this should come as a warning sign to governments and policymakers across the world about the kind and scale of healthcare reforms required to improve basic access to healthcare and improve the health conditions of their populations and what additional steps might be required to fight the next pandemic. As I said in my previous podcast, healthcare reform and especially reform of big pharma is an imperative now. How else is COVID affecting people differently? I had written a blog post about women in crisis through COVID and beyond, which was prompted by news of rising domestic violence against women in lockdown conditions. But there are other groups of people too that are being impacted in very different ways by COVID. We'll discuss them after this tiny break. You're listening to the Owl Wisdom Podcast on how COVID affects some people more than others. Next, we'll look at another risk group, those who can't afford to work from home. Welcome back. We've examined how COVID-19 seems to single out the poorer and more vulnerable among us. There is another high-risk group that we ought to consider as well, and that comprises people who don't have the luxury of waiting it out for COVID to leave, nor can they work from home. 
Think of all the workers in construction sites, factories, small businesses, plumbers, electricians, carpenters, taxi drivers and others. In America and many countries, this also includes millions of gig workers whose jobs necessarily require them to be out and who can't expect any help from their employers or clients because, well, they aren't even considered to be employees. These are people who hardly enjoy any unemployment benefits or protection from their employers or the government. The U.S. has just passed a fourth bill worth around U.S. $359 billion to be able to help small businesses offer their workers some protection. But I'm not sure that will be adequate. There doesn't seem to be enough focus on incentivizing businesses to keep people on at work, and anything else seems like a palliative. In Europe and Britain, workers, even those in small businesses, are slightly better off since they enjoy better unemployment benefits and worker protection. In my country, India, the COVID-19 lockdown began with a huge migrant labor crisis because the Indian government hadn't even anticipated that a sudden lockdown announcement would mean millions of workers in the informal sector, which accounts for 90% of India's employment, especially daily wage earners, losing their jobs. There is no unemployment benefit to tide them over a week, let alone a few months. And because public transport was not available, millions of workers and their families started trudging home on foot, undertaking journeys hundreds of miles long back to their villages, where they know there will at least be food and shelter for them. As if this wasn't bad enough, there were media reports of police brutality on these families walking home for violating lockdown conditions. It is in such times that we realize how wide the gulf is between those who make policies for people like themselves and the rest who are simply at the receiving end. For the policymaker, the priority is to save lives. For the daily wage earner, the only question that matters is, where does he provide his family with the next meal from? The fact that he needs to stay home in order to protect his family and others from contracting the virus is probably such an abstract and distant concept that it doesn't even make sense to him. There is yet another set of people in this group that can't afford to stay home or work from home. The healthcare workers, support staff and first responders in the fight against COVID-19. They are first in the line of attack from COVID-19 and it never ceases to amaze me the dedication and determination with which they carry on their jobs day after day. This community is at high risk of contracting the coronavirus and many doctors and nurses have indeed lost their lives already while trying to save others. They need more help in this fight as many PPE including N95 masks and as many ventilators as the world can possibly manufacture. They also need the world's pharma companies to find a vaccine as quickly as possible because only then can they breathe a little easy. We have looked at how COVID-19 impacts different sets of people from the economic as well as political standpoints. What about the cultural? From all that I read and see in the news as well as in social media, it appears to me that the educated elite, especially those who can work from home, are connecting more with each other across the world. If the pandemic is global, so are these people's responses, and I include myself in this group. For these people, who share a lot in common, irrespective of nationality, race or religion, there is also plenty of culture on offer on the internet. From music concerts and literature festivals to plays and films, there is so much to share in. Literary publications like the New York Review of Books are unlocking their archives each month and they have also produced a pandemic journal podcast inviting their writers to share their immediate experience of the COVID pandemic. 
There are others who are seeking some kind of salvation in religion and race, and their instincts seem to be to deepen the divides that already exist. In India, we had the case of the Tablighi Jamaat, a religious sect of the Muslim community that rather unwisely decided to go ahead with their summit. As it turned out, there was a huge spurt in the number of COVID cases thanks to this event, and that led to an angry, hate-filled reaction from right-wing Hindus. If you ask me, the government has been duplicitous on this. They could very well have stopped the event from taking place under lockdown rules, but decided in their own wisdom not to do so. Let us remember that in the early days of COVID-19 in India, there was also a plan by the UP government to hold a massive Ram Navmi Mela on the banks of the Ganges River, and there were some BJP leaders who were going around saying that a Hindu god will never let anyone be infected by coronavirus. This is the kind of religious superstition and belief that persists in India, yet thankfully that event was stopped and any sign of it mysteriously vanished from the media, both in print and on TV. So as COVID-19 continues to ravage the world, irrespective of borders, some communities do seem to be more affected by it than others. In the days and months ahead, we might have a better picture of just how they are coping with the coronavirus. And although we might be emerging from the lockdown now across several countries, it will be a while before our lives return to anything like we consider normal. For now, we must unite and fight this virus, even as we realize that all are not equal before it. Thanks so much for listening to this edition of the Our Wisdom Podcast. This is Geeta Sundaram signing off for now. Do join me again next month. For more Our Wisdom, read my blog peripateticperch.com and follow me on LinkedIn and Twitter.